Hi, welcome back to the Wild Womb Podcast. This episode of my sporadic production feels really special and I'm so excited to share it. If you've been listening to this podcast, you may know that I'm currently studying to become a fertility awareness educator through The Well with Sarah Bly. Fertility awareness, and really all reproductive health care to be quite honest, tends to be incredibly gendered and exclusionary to folks who don't identify with the gender binary. There's an endless list of reasons as to why this is problematic. Most simply, it's essential to dismantle the gender binary in healthcare in order to widen accessibility to quality care for all bodies. There are not currently many resources available that use inclusive language, and part of the work that we're doing in our program is to change this. Many of us are hoping to shift the current state of care to increase accessibility and respect for all genders and sexual identities. My guest this week is one of my classmates in this program who's been such a conduit for these conversations. I've really appreciated their voice so much and feel inspired by the energy that they have for creating something better in the work that we do. Sarah Merrick, who uses they, them pronouns, is an herbalist, pregnancy loss and abortion doula, and fertility awareness teacher and training based in Oakland, California on Ohlone land. They humbly walk with the plants on the path toward liberation and reproductive autonomy. They're passionate about expanding access to abortion and reclaiming abortion as a rite of passage and as a spiritual experience. As a budding fertility awareness method educator, they're committed to ungendering FAM to bridge this rich practice of body literacy to the queer community, folks of all gender and sexual expressions. I really hope that you appreciate this conversation as much as I did. Feel free to reach out if you have any thoughts or questions or if you want to get involved in these efforts. Thank you so much for listening. Um, My name is Sarah Merrick. I currently live in Oakland, California. on uh, Ohlone territory. Um, I was born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada and lived, was born, I was raised there. So I just want to give a a shout out to Vegas because um, I'm not from Oakland originally and that really frames where I'm coming from. Um, I use they, them pronouns right now. I've been fluctuating between my pronoun usage, but that's what's comfortable for me right now. I identify as queer and gender fluid and a lot of my focus right now in life is building my practice and what my practice has been growing from is through my studies of herbalism, um, through my studies of abortion um, as an abortion doula and also from that I've been studying with you um, mm-hmm. to become a fertility awareness method educator. Um, I, it's so funny when I think about like what I do, I don't even talk about my paid job. So like that doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> this is where my heart is. This is what, this is really what defines me. Um, I'm yeah. a plant parent and I freaking love my garden. And um, <laughs> I am trying my, this is my first year trying to grow edibles. Um, COVID's really pushed me to, uh, grow more edible food. So I've been growing medicine for a couple years. Um, and this will be my first year growing edibles and my tomatoes are about to pop off. So 
soon I'll, awesome. soon I'll be canning. <laughs> yeah. That's so exciting. And it's cool you have space in Oakland to do that. Oh, yeah. That's like a whole nother story. But yeah, I actually I'm moving soon. My landlord's raising my rent. Um, but I'm feeling I'm trying to lean into like resiliency and the abundance that there is in community than the fear of trying to find housing in the Bay Area. Yeah, I just I remember you saying that in class. And I cannot believe that your rent is being raised during this <sighs> pandemic. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really it's a big learning experience for me. But yeah, it has been a blessing having a yard and having space for my plants to grow. Um, and yeah, it is quite a blessing to have that in the Oakland area. Yeah, and pri- frankly, a privilege. <laughs> definitely. And I, I've actually haven't been there. My brother lives in Oakland and I'm hoping to visit him soon, but um, I'm just assuming it's a city and there's not much space to be had, but I really don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's a really beautiful space and it, you know, I moved here a few years ago, so I have to name that like I'm part of the wave of gentrification, but I think that's really what is, yeah, part of the housing situation in Oakland is just that the rent mm. has been raised so incredibly. Um, and I was, I really prayed to get the space I live in now. And so I live in an affordable place, but um, yeah, it's definitely like a dense place with, you know, I, before this, I lived in Colorado where when there was fires, um, like a lot of trees were burning and like, it was different, but here, like when there's fires, it's like houses and cars and it's just such a densely populated place in California um, Mm -hmm. more than I've ever been before. Yeah. What brought you to Oakland? Um, I, uh, the Google gods brought me here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was, so I was in Colorado, left Colorado and was traveling um, in and outside of the States for a while. Um, I was, on my own healing journey, I had left Colorado and like made this declaration that like, I'm going to like learn about my ancestral medicine and I'm going to, um, at the time I called developing my witch practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started this, um, I had this health experience where I started bleeding and I actually bled almost nonstop for three months. Oh my God. Um, and it really felt like that, like I'm ready to learn. And then like the initiation came <laughs> And so, and I went to the doctor and they didn't have any answers. And so that's when I started reaching out to, um, I, at the time, and I would probably still call like the wise woman in my life who knew about plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had more answers for me than any doctor did. And I went, and then after that, I was on my way to Mexico and um, in Mexico, I met a Guandera, um, which was the first Guandera I'd ever met. Um, and they really helped me um, through like a spiritual experience, through connecting me with sweat lodges, um, through uh, sobada, which is um, body work, traditional body work, um, mm. helped me regulate my period and um, helped me move through that. And that, and move, meeting the Kuandera, I was I was in Mexico City googling like, because I, so I my family my my lineage is um, from my paternal side, my family. Um, lived for hundreds of years in southwestern England. And then on my maternal side, um, my family is um, Spanish and indigenous to southern Mexico. Okay. Um, and I bring that, 
I bring that up because what did I bring up my lineage just to like name where I'm coming from but also like I really wanted to dive deeper into my ancestral medicine but I don't my when my after my family moved to the states when my mom was six my family stopped speaking Spanish um, and so being in Mexico trying to learn I was was really difficult and so I knew I had to return back to the states um, to learn and so I was googling cuandarismo herbalism programs and that's what landed me in Oakland. Um, there's a school called Ancestral Apothecary founded by Atava Garcia, um, who um, she's created this beautiful school um, that centers, it's um, open to everyone, but it centers indigenous and black medicine, um, which was from like, was so was completely eye-opening for me, you know, coming from Colorado, which what it has a I was living in Boulder, Colorado, which I, at the time I would call like suspiciously white. Um, <laughs> um, Such a good way to put it. Suspicious, like, you know. It's yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I was, I was like so, so, so excited to study um, with other people of color, study um, herbalism from a, decolonized perspective that was centering justice. Um, and so I came to Oakland before I had housing, before I was even accepted into the program. <laughs> I was just like, I know that this is what I want to do. So that's amazing. I came here and they accepted me and I'm still studying with them. And it's my third year studying with wow. Baba, um, and other teachers too. Um, and it's been really beautiful because, you know, it's with in parallel to other herbalists that I started on my path with um because I also studied at Herb Farm where I met um several herbalists through our the internship program like the a lot of other programs are shaped in a way of like you're you are in this intensive program for two years and then you can do clinical work but Atavo really holds the closer to an apprenticeship model where like you have to put in I mean it, there's classrooms and things like that but it's really have to put in the time. So I, I'm going to start providing herbal consultations after four years of studying with her, which feels like for me was the integrity, integrity that I needed to like really feel good about um, offering this to the community. So that's what brought me here. Um, and I love it here. Um, the legacy of activism and resiliency of Oakland um, definitely pulled me here too. And it's been so beautiful to be here the past few weeks and witness um, the fire of all of that, like all of the work that's been put in um, before I got here. Like, it's just, you can really feel it in the streets and it's really beautiful to witness and be a part of. That's amazing. Yeah. All I've heard is just like all of these things going on always in Oakland, like really centering marginalized people. And it just sounds like such a powerful place. Mm -hmm. And this yeah. school, this program sounds wonderful. I think I really feel like having an extensive and more like apprenticeship based model makes so much sense. Um, especially when you're doing clinical herbalism, it, yeah, I don't know. Like it bothers me so much when, how many people are able to just call themselves herbalist and provide insight that just does not feel true or rooted oh. in much, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, you have to actively work against, I mean, in everything we do, we have to actively work against white supremacy, but like, it's, even in herbalism, like there, there's a lot to unlearn with how, um, 
I don't know if like just that whiteness has been elevated, but it's just to work against um, how, how, um, what am I trying to say? <laughs> what are the words I'm looking for? <laughs> um, I mean, to work against how, just like feeling, believing that medicine is innately yours and right. the ways that con colonization is continued to be perpetuated by people who feel entitled um, by not like when they don't look at their whiteness and aren't looking at the where they're coming from and just feeling like the earth made it so therefore it's mine and not recognizing the where that's coming from yeah absolutely I yeah I think this like looking at your ancestral medicine practice is so powerful mm -hmm. I've been thinking about that a lot because I mean that is you know herbalism has belonged to every group of people mm -hmm. and everyone has their own practice with it but it feels so important to like really understand the one that you're coming from mm -hmm. yeah um, what is your studying like my with herbalism yeah yeah so I, I have class three days a week or three days three hours a week now mm -hmm. um so and since since COVID that means online learning um today that looked like bottling medicine for my teacher um and wrapping it up and shipping off some of her medicine I think that something I really love about like <laughs> doing this too it's like doing the the work that helps helps sustain your teachers like making yeah. sure that it's reciprocal and that's something I really love too. Um, my definitely a part of like my informal education is my plants every day, being able to grow them. Um, my teacher, her name, their name is Alokin. Um, they, they really emphasized for um, for us as students to grow our own medicine, which seems so important now with distribution being more difficult. Um, yeah, absolutely. What are you growing? I'm growing the well. The thing that I really love that I'm growing that um, I, through my ancestral project, have learned that my family's grown for generations. Um, are, I'm growing chiles. Um, cool. I'm growing. It's interesting. Like scan my garden in my brain. Um, <laughs> some yerba mansa, some yerba buena, some um, whorehound. Some chamomile, some yarrow, some calendula. That's awesome. Yeah, it's so special to be able to cultivate that and, and like really see your medicine through from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's super exciting, like seeing the food sprout through and like being like, oh my gosh, they're still alive. I'm like, oh my gosh, they haven't done yeah. yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's such a lesson in resiliency and also like I I think I sometimes worry a lot that I rely too much on outside sources to like sustain myself but then when you're able to grow things it just feels like this magical power <laughs> yeah it is it is totally magical and feels like um it feels so, like so much resilience and then also a lot of growers that I talk to or people who are starting to grow they're like everything I touch dies and I'm like death is also a part of growing <laughs> definitely <laughs> yeah I've grown a decent percent a decent portion of things have just not survived <laughs> so yeah absolutely it's just a part of it it's always a learning experience <laughs> yeah and when did you go to herb farm oh um good question what year is it now <laughs> probably 2016 I think okay yeah maybe 20 2017 
I had a roommate who went, I think, in 2018. Mm. And it sounded like such a wonderful program. Yeah, and it's it's still around. Um, yeah, you there's an application process, and they have, like, a spring, summer, and fall um, session. I went in the spring, which was nice because I hear the summer's hot. And, but in the fall, you get to, like, get to know the roots. And, but I was, I was in it for the flowers, so. Cool. Really beautiful. Yeah, it's I, it's one of the only programs I know of that uh, is free and mm-hmm. <laughs> especially as intensive as it is. That yeah. I think it's great. It's really cool that it's offered. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great, and they put you up in housing, and um, I think over the they switched changed the program, so now they actually pay for food too. You have like you live on site of where the farming happens, so you can just go hang out with the plants. Um, and have like really intense plant sits because there's like just rows and rows of plants and you're like yeah <laughs> um, the most beautiful space that I really loved at our farmers that they have this like um, forest of black cohosh oh yeah I've heard it, about this it's really magical like it's yeah one of the more magical plants I've ever gotten to, to gotten to know yeah, I agree. I I love seeing it. I've seen it a couple times out in the world, but it's not something that grows that much here and it feels so so special to see. Mm-hmm. Such a good plant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, and I'm curious also to kind of side or change gears um mm-hmm. about your abortion doula work. Yeah. Um so I Ever since I was little, like, I don't know, abortion has just always been something that's been talked about and normalized in my family. Um, And there's just, since then, there's just been like a fire growing in my belly around my conviction that anyone who chooses to have an abortion should have access to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I first came to... The bay. I, 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 it first started with like doing online research and seeing how abortion and herbalism intersected and started to like, was interesting the more I talked about abortion with my teachers here, like feeling the like, oh, we don't talk about that or like feeling yeah. the like, I was very surprised. The first herbalist that I met um, years ago um, was also an abortion doula. And so I always thought the two were like, were married um, mm-hmm. like that they, they obviously go together. And I was very surprised once I actually started studying herbalism formally, how it was like a more hush hush thing. And then I, yeah, it just came, became more clear that, um, number one, that this, that the knowledge around abortion has been stolen and buried, buried. And mm-hmm. also that, um, there was, yeah, there was like this, there was a fear around it. Um, and it wasn't until I came to the Bay Area that I found the, like a official abortion doula training um, through the Bay Area Doula Project, um, which I help with now. Um, we are like on <laughs> a bit of a hiatus because our plates are full, but I'm on their training team now. Um, and we provide annual use used to be more than annual, but essentially annual trainings to the Bay Area community. Um, we also partner with Access. Um, there is a network of abortion um, funds across the U.S. 
So each state has a specific fund and in California, our um, abortion fund is called Access. So we, we team up with Access to train their volunteers. Um, and just a shout out to Access, they provide um, rides, funds, childcare, um, whatever people need to get um, to really disintegrate the barriers, the, the like several barriers it is to have an abortion. Because even in California, people are driving several hours to get an abortion. Yeah. Um, That's so an it, incredible project. Yeah, it is really lovely. And it's also been interesting seeing how things have had to change with COVID. Yeah. You know, as, us as volunteers, we're like, we're giving people rides. And then it's like, oh, what's, oh, also they provide like places to stay for people. Um, and so now things have turned into like raising a lot more money to for hotels and Uber rides and things like that. But it's a really awesome organization. Um, yeah, that's incredible. I, I know of, you know, like the ones in the States that I've lived in and, and I don't think any of them do that much. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely giving funds for people to getting abortions, but I don't know of any of the state organizations also doing rides and childcare and that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. 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 I really um, love the work they do. And um, just to finish up about what being an abortion doula means to me is really supporting people like before, during and after their abortion, whether that be a medication abortion or a clinical abortion or one of the many other options um, so that they can go through it as consensually as possible and with as, mu as much support as possible. Um, and I would say that like my like lens or like, I don't know, a uh, specialty in a way is to uh, um, help people create ceremony because I believe that abortion can be an initiation and a ceremony if someone chooses that. Um, and I think that abortion is a, a really beautiful initiation and that's been sterilized and um, taken away from people, um, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I'm an abortion doula as well. I don't know if we've ever talked about that, but um, I used to work with the um, New York doula project. Um, that's why I moved to New York city and yeah. Um, it, so it sounds very similar, but how we, we just worked within a couple clinics, um, uh -oh. doing volunteer work. But since then I have also just been doing that separately, but uh -huh. with the actual project, um, set up that we would go and do shifts and, be present for medical abortions. Um, but yeah, I think, I, yeah, I'm curious to hear like what it's been, like how it actually functions for you. Um, uh -huh. I'd imagine that you have other people in your community using you as a resource for this now. Um, I'm sure it's evolved over time. It definitely did for me, but yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that works. Yeah. Um, so as for, in terms of like, as my, as my, the, my role has developed with Bay Area Doula Project, we've tried so hard to get into clinics and it just isn't working out in California. Mm -hmm. um, there, it's there, no, I forget the section of Planned Parenthood, but there is like a Northern California Planned Parenthood that was allowing one support person in the room with someone during their clinical abortion. 
Mm-hmm. But now with COVID, I don't think that's possible. Um, but right now that looks like someone messaging me um, and asking for usually like herbal medicine support to help them um, before or after their abortion. Um, mm-hmm. It can look like me talking on the phone with someone um, the days leading up to their abortion. Um, you know, there's a lot in people, people, and especially with COVID, people are looking for options outside of clinics. And so that's something that um, I talk about with discretion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is such a taboo topic in the herbal community. I feel like every person I've learned herbalism from formally has been so unwilling about mm-hmm. it, which I understand, but yeah, I, I, to go back to your point, like it's been something that's been stolen, you know, mm-hmm. the, this knowledge and, um, to have so much more gatekeeping around it, especially in this community that I feel like could really do a lot of good serving people in a safe way. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. 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 I think a big piece of it for me is, um, harm reduction. Like mm-hmm. someone will reach out to me and they'll say, I, someone on the internet told me to do this thing. I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> who's this person? And like, as far as long as you are, like, it doesn't like, it's, I think that people can be in more dangerous situations if they don't have um, support and they're just like, yes. oh, this, this plant is going to, you know, it's, it's, I think, you know, and it, this also ties into for the fertility awareness method with the development of birth control being like, all you have to do is take this pill and then you're, you're not going to be pregnant. It's the same thing with abortion of like people, mm-hmm. there's this sentiment, like I just need to take this one herb and then I won't be pregnant anymore when actually it's more of like, I like to think of the herbs in like this sort of um, like synergistic kind of way, like all of them complement each other and they're working together. And um, it's, yeah, I think it's important to, I mean, I think that it's, it's important to acknowledge that like bodies, when they know what they want, perhaps you could just take an herb and then um, an abortion would can be initiated. And there's also, I think safer ways to do it with herbs um, that it's important to have some experience or have some connection to um, the, the information that has still been preserved and passed down. Yeah, I agree. I think it's kind of the same as like, if we uh, make abortion illegal, like people are always going to be having abortions as they always Mm -hmm. have always. Um, And so, yeah, to like create that, prohibition around it which is basically what happens by not teaching the practice of using herbs it just makes Mm -hmm. it more dangerous and then perpetuates this idea that it is really really dangerous and Mm -hmm. yeah I agree I think it's important work that you're doing there's this article that came out recently that was all about self-managed medication abortions and the first paragraph they were like talking down to herbs saying how like how dangerous pennyroyal was and I'm like we're like almost there like you can't put us down to like lift yourself up (laughs) (laughs) but that's how it works (laughs) yeah like oh look at these people like there's a picture in the beginning of the article about like like grandma or like there's like old picture of like 
I would say like assigned females at birth sitting over a pot of onions. They're like, oh, that's so laughable. And it's like, wait, like, why, why is that laughable? Like, making fun of this like old way because yeah, it's, it's, I think it's so important to recognize that our ancestors, as long as people have been birthing, people have been having abortions and having yes. also having miscarriages and miscarriage is something else that's been highly, highly medicalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something else I support people through is if they choose to have at home um, miscar- miscarriages. Um, and it's just so important. It's, I just feel so much power in my body and my spirit when I'm like, no, this is our medicine. Like this is, you know, we know this in our bones. Like we, we are supported by our ancestors through this work. And also like, it's, it's so important that I think I would like to see in the pro-choice movement to not only fight for the continuation of clinical and medication abortions, which there needs to be a continuation of that, but that there needs to be a push to decriminalize abortion. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) very, very much agree (laughs) to criminalize and make it free. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And, and um, to go back about like creating ritual around it, I, again, very much agree. I think that creating a ritual around all of this is so important. And, and yeah, like with working with herbs and understanding that like them working synergetically, yeah, yeah. synergetically, <laughs> it's like creating a ritual within itself by like really slowing down and using all of them and understanding how they all work. And I think that, you know, t- definitely ties into fam um, mm-hmm. and just, yeah, I, so all of your work that you're doing really mm-hmm. seems to be supporting people and in creating that ritual for themselves um and I'd love to hear how you like started with that like how has this always been something that you've cultivated in yourself or did you have somebody supporting you through this or like initiating you into this into uh, into like mm -hmm. focusing more on creating ritual around things and Mm-hmm. using plant medicine and wanting to you know use fertility awareness and looking at your ancestral medicine mm-hmm. um such a good question like what started it all <laughs> but, yeah um, <laughs> it's a big one <laughs> yeah I mean I would say like the my most honest answer is that my grandmother um who passed away more than 10 years ago who's definitely a, a guide and um, rock for me in this work inspires me um, and supports me. Um, she, yeah, I come from a, a line of people who um, not only support the legalization of abortion, but support abortion as medicine. So mm. it's something that's been passed down in my ancestral line. Um, and it's amazing. Yeah, and but I, I can't say that like I had an abortion and someone supported me through it in that way. Like when I've had missed periods, um, I've worked with plants, but haven't ever confirmed with like a pregnancy test that I was pregnant. But has been the plants have been there for me when I've needed to bring my period. That's great. Mm-hmm. And was that something that like also went along with a fertility awareness um, Mm -hmm. practice for you or did one come before the other? Mm -hmm. I, 
Um, my, I think they came together. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. They both really grew out of the ground at the same time. Um, it took me years. I From the first time that I learned about FAM or the fertility awareness method until like I made it a practice was like five years. Like it took me a long time to like really get like there were so many things that were disconnecting me from my body and I was like trying to do this method but it was hard to connect with my body and it really took me a long time to get there and I think that at the same time this my path as um, an abortion doula was unraveling um, so parallel to it Mm -hmm. Um, but I but I see fam as being integral to my work as an abortion doula um, because I feel like some pregnancies are happening non-consensually because people aren't being miseducated about their their cycles and about their potentials to get pregnant. Um, and I believe that the more people have access to this, this information, the more autonomous choice they'll have about getting pregnant or not getting pregnant. Absolutely. Um, and I believe that, you know, herbs work best as emergency contraception um, mm-hmm. even before someone would miss their period. So I think that the two practices go well, really go together um, really, really well. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm curious, like it, it, I guess I have worked with a lot of people who do not use fertility awareness, but <laughs> will look to herbs. Um, and I think that can be like, that's just misguided. Um, mm-hmm. But also, you know, so many people just don't have exposure to fertility awareness. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it takes a lot of folks a long time to get to it. I, I feel the same way. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah, they definitely work best together. Yeah, um, they work best together. And I feel like they work like they're both pieces in how like pieces and growing towards a world where there is true choice. Like mm-hmm. I think that something else I want to name is that like, you know, sometimes I, I, the same way that there's this developing relationship with fam, I think there should be a developing relationship with herbs. I think as an mm-hmm. herbalist, at least what I've been taught is that like plants often aren't meant to like help with symptoms, but it's a more, for at least the, I, the way I work with herbs, it's like it's about building your relationship with herbs. Um, and so I think that there are like, like building your relationship with pennyroyal and parsley and um, black cohosh. And, you know, there are so many different plants that can support someone to bring their menses, you know, before they need to like, they've never had a relationship with this plant and now they need this plant right now to do the specific thing. I think it's less likely for there to be, um, um, it's just more of like a jump starting a relationship than if you're already have this relationship and you've grown it and you, you know, you, you, the plant knows you and you know, the plant and it's just feels much more even consensual for the plant to like support you than um, demanding that a plant do something for you. If you've never met it, met it before. <laughs> yeah. I love looking at it that way. That's such a great perspective. Um, how do you, how do you like personally build relationships with plants and like, how do you also help other people do that? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm such a nerd. So I, I love reading about plants. But mm-hmm. so like there's definitely like a plant for uh, to be specific, like cotton is a plant that I've been developing my relationship with over the last few years, which is a very 
um, helpful plants um, in the, the third week of someone's cycle before their missed period. Um, it's a like delicious plant. It like releases oxytocin, which I know from reading it, but like you just, you just feel the love and like, it, yeah. but it's also important to acknowledge the history of the plant and like why we know that it can be used as contraceptive because of the history and resilience of black women in the South. And mm. so I think that, you know, building my relationship is understanding the history of a plant, um, knowing how hard it is to strip the, the root bark um, from the plant and like giving it the like labor of love of making medicine. I've tried, I haven't been able to grow this specific plant, but growing plants, um, drinking the teas, do, like sleeping with the plants is another way I really love. Yeah. Mugwort's one that I love sleeping with. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also mugwort's also one that like teaches me the lessons I don't necessarily want to learn right away, but the medicine I'm not ready for but um yeah sleeping with plants doing plant meditations which is something I mentioned before but taking like a a drop dose of it and just sitting with it and seeing what comes through um just spending I would say like the love language of of plants is quality time so like (laughs) yeah (laughs) as much quality time as you can spend with a plant feels like the best relationship building (laughs) yeah yeah I I think it's so important to build a relationship with the plants. And um, I've been talking about this recently with a few people of just like how kind of masculine herbalism can be sometimes, like especially when people are just like relying on tinctures all the time and you're just like taking all these things and all these formulas with all these herbs in them and you don't really get to have the chance to sit with it and feel like how is it sitting in your body Mm. um I know I've definitely like in times of high stress I can get myself in this pattern where I'm like I just need to take my anxiety herbs and like guzzling them down and it's not doing anything and Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's and I I see them being prescribed that way especially you know herbalism is wonderful but is a field that also has a lot of patriarchy and misogyny in it um mm-hmm. and some herbalists can prescribe things in the same way that you would pharmaceuticals so mm-hmm. taking this like gentler more energetic approach is so necessary mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It, it feels more sustainable to me like mm-hmm. when I get, at least where I'm at with my practice like I'm not I would love to get to the place where like when because some people they're just like I just want a tincture that I can take three times a day and I really want to get to the place where like okay take this tincture and it'll support you but like right now where I'm at I really love the education part of like well can you can you just grow this one plant like someone some a friend of mine talks about anxiety I'm like would you can you like do you have a capacity to grow this one plant and tend to this one plant and then it's like tending I for me the most tangible way that I know that I'm doing well is if my garden is doing well like Mm. if I'm forgetting to water my plants I'm probably forgetting to water myself too (laughs) like Mm -hmm. what are your what are your favorite plants or your sorry my headphones are messing up can you hear me Yeah, I can hear you now. Will okay. you ask me that question again? Um, I just... Yeah. 
I just unplugged my headphones. Hopefully that'll be better. Are you asking me what my favorite plants are? Yeah, your plant. What are your, your closest plant allies? <laughs> Great question. Um, chamomile. Mm. Um, who else? Who else? Um, pulsatia. Mm, such Haw- a good one. <laughs> yeah. Hawthorn. Yeah. Um, A lot of nerve vines right now. Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tis the season. Yeah, I think AMLPOs for sure. Like things that just feel like they're my friends because they can help ground me again. Wood betony is a plant that um, I actually met when I was at Herb Farm, and that was one of the plants we're just that was really amazing to sit with because there's just rows and rows of wood betony. And as you get closer to it, you just like have to sit down. (laughs) Um, I love that one. I think it's one that isn't utilized enough. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so special though. I agree. Yeah. Um, And I do want to ask you how you came to fertility awareness and what that practice has been like for you. Yeah. Um, well, so years ago, I must have been like, I love that. Like, I don't love this, but it's like, <laughs> it's such a cool circle. So years ago, I think it was like 2013-ish, maybe-ish, um, I lost my housing to a flood in, in Boulder. Oh my God. Um, there was like this flood. It was like wild like it was raining really hard one night we're like drinking wine we're like oh it's raining hard the next day like the city of Boulder starts flooding. oh no um, yeah <laughs> that's it was, awful it was pretty intense and at the time I was working at a homeless shelter and that was like a whole thing around how unwell the houses people of Boulder were treated and they continue to be treated this way by the city of Boulder um anyways but I just mm. You know, I was I lost my housing and I went on to and I had just recently went to Burning Man for the first time, which used to be part of my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and it was really helpful for when I was younger to like help expand my expression. But um, I had just went to Burning Man. And so I typed on this Burning Man forum, forum being like, I lost my housing. Can anyone help me? And this person named Katie Bicknell um, responded saying like my my landlord is leasing out the place right next to us. And it was like the space that was like, gosh, I wish that I could have, I mean, like I, at the time it was so expensive. And now like, I'm like, if I could find this space for that, that price in the Bay area, it'd be such a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I moved into this new place and I made friends with um, Will Sachs and Katie Bicknell, who are the founders of Kandara. Um, and oh, yeah. Katie was like, so like, they're, they were so into this thing. And I'm like, whoa, like I didn't know this thing existed and like totally just like opened my eyes. And um, I tried to do it for a little while and I was taking my temperature every day. And I I love that, you know, I have like these really like partial charts from like seven years ago when I started to track my cycle. um, Yeah, that's so cool. Super exciting. Um, And then fast forward a bit, I finally got connected with an instructor who was coming to town and was like providing this workshop for free. And like, we just sat down for like an entire day and learned the entire protocol, which was a lot, <laughs> but yeah, it was like part of like, it was a step forward. Um, and then um, the wink came out and um, Will gave me a t- thermometer. And so I'm like, okay, now I'm definitely going to commit to this thing. And 
um, I just found that it was like really hard for me for a while to like, to do it. Um, and uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was when I really committed myself to like this path as an abortion doula, where it seems like more and more people were asking me about like, quote unquote, natural contraception. And I knew that this other thing existed, but I know I needed to practice it myself before I could teach it. So I started um, taking classes. I found a class um, that was like regional and I couldn't, I had to drive like an hour and a half to find a class, which I thought was amazing. I was like, I started like looking up instructors on online, um, mostly found people on Instagram and um, read last two summers ago, I read um, taking charge of your fertility Um, And so I just like was trying to dive deep as much as I could. Um, And it was after I like actually found an educator that was like when I was like, okay, I'm doing this. And it was, I was really excited about that. I had a partner who really supported me um, in my practice. And like, it was really, it became his responsibility to um, put my thermometer in my mouth every morning. And like, that was like the ticket. Like once he was holding up that end of the bargain, I felt that's like, okay, like I can do this now. Like um, it didn't feel like it was just like my responsibility to learn all these things. Um, That's a great tip, I think, to get partners involved. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Like I think, you know, it like allows me to lay in bed a little bit longer. And like, I, yeah, it's it's something that Will said years ago that he believed that, you you know, the part of BAM was that partners could share the responsibility um, rather than the legacy birth control and I use that word strategically right here is yeah (laughs) like it's really pushed onto people who are assigned female at birth it's like their sole responsibility totally um and so that was really helpful um and then I found Sarah Bly's program and applied and it just was became really clear to me that like I really wanted to be a fam educator because I was really excited about this fam thing. And I was talking to my friends about it, a lot of my queer friends about it. And the more I talked to my queer friends about their cycles, the more I found that a lot of people had irregular cycles, but like number one, their doctors weren't taking their, I guess, I don't know if it was their health concerns, but taking that seriously because they assume that queer people aren't having, don't want to have children or they're assuming that like, uterus health is only related to reproduction and if you're not mm-hmm. if you're not choosing to have children then why would you change anything um and I just found that there was like a lot of like oh fam that's just for like straight white people pretty much yeah. and I found that mo- the educators that I found were predominantly white and now I'm really thankful now that I'm actually part of this program I, I've met other uh, people of color who graduated from Sarah's program but the like forward facing the forward face of fam is straight cisgendered white folks. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a problem because there needs to be more diversity for there to be more safety around like people. I think that there can be a a mistrust when that is so forward facing because of white supremacy and because of transphobia. Um, I think that really needs to shift. Um, And so like, I'm just like moving the needle a bit. Like I'm a a gender fluid white passing person of color, but I think that I I feel really passionate about this medicine being more accessible to people because I, even if people are not choosing to have children, um, fam can be 
an incredible process of connecting with our bodies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm somebody, I have no idea if I ever want to have children, but Mm -hmm. it's never been my reason for using it. And, um, and yeah, I know that that is kind of unusual. Mm -hmm. I, I guess it wouldn't be to us, but maybe to people who could be hearing this, um, mm-hmm. that fam is like just as relevant mm-hmm. <laughs> for a contraceptive as it is for getting pregnant. Um, yeah. And, and also just to have the information about your health and how empowering it can be to be able to have that information and go to the doctor and present that mm-hmm. and know the testing that you need to get in order to get these things sorted out. Mm-hmm. I think it's huge, um, mm-hmm. especially, I mean, for everybody, but I think especially for queer people whose bodies are generally um, questioned or denied by mm-hmm. the medical system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It can be helpful to like to indicate thyroid issues. It can, you know, help be helpful to identify if you have PCOS or if you don't have PCOS. And I think that's really the, upper hand I don't know what sort of euphemism I want to use but like that's the leg up that individuals have is marking their observations from their day-to-day that doctors don't have like we know what's going on in our bodies because this is our experience and doctors plug into a moment in time um, Mm -hmm. and treat everyone as like they're as if they're standard and that standard is based on of cis heteropatriarchy um so I, I, even if it's just for, for a while, my, my fan practice looked like me tracking my emotions and like, yeah. and so I think that a lot of different. Yeah. I, th- I think that, yeah, that's an important thing to note. Like there's so many different things that you can be tracking and like, of course there's, you know, the symptothermal methods and hormonal, all that, whatever, but there's so many other things that are tied up in our cycles aside from just like our cervical mucus and temperature and Mm -hmm. it can be really interesting to see all of those changes and how they correlate depending on where you're at hormonally Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it can be helpful even for people who aren't cycling too Mm -hmm. or who aren't bleeding you know to find some sort of cyclical patterns that are going on by tracking things like your emotions Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um so how did you, or how, how are you feeling like we can ungender fam? Like what is, what is your vision? Mm-hmm. My vision. Um, oh, such a good question. I love that. <laughs> Straight <laughs> into that, into reality. Um, my vision is for there to be more resources that are, you know, laying out what fam is that, don't refer to the person who is cycling as a woman Mm -hmm. Um, because there are so many there's not so many but there's there's taking charge of your fertility there's um, garden of fertility there are the resources already exist for people who identify as women and there need to be more resources for people who this information is relevant for who don't identify as women because I think it can be dysphoric to read that over and over and over again um and it's so important for there to be more to be more written options to be for there to be more fam educators that are open to using different language because i think that using different language ungendered language 
um, more inclusive language um, is one of the ways that we track whether or not someone has done the work around homophobia and transphobia. I think that it's one of the, yeah, it's one of the ways that it indicates that someone cares enough to like adjust to be inclusive to you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you have any favorite resources um, that are gender neutral that you would want to share? Yeah, I, you know, they're Ashley Hartman um, Annis, I think that's how they pronounce their last name, is a tran- uh, trans inclusive fam educator. Um, they have done the work of ungendering a lot of their zines and the way they teach their class, I think is with a lot, with a lot of integrity. Um, and outside of that, there are like a number of resources for people who menstruate that are non-binary and trans, um, like uh, Bleeding Thunder. Um, yeah, that's a great one. Let me think of who else, like Tony the Tampon on Instagram. I've only recently heard about that one and I, it's great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And there are like some models for inclusive sex education, but I think that for specifically for fam, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I really don't know many resources or people that are practicing gender neutral fam. um, And I, I feel like super encouraged by our cohort right now to be Mm -hmm. open to doing that work. And um, yeah, I feel like there's, I mean, there's so much that needs to be done, but it's, it's refreshing to hear that there's people that are willing to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And have you been, like, have you been teaching fertility awareness at all? Um, I haven't been teaching fam as a practice. Um, I've been teaching what I really love is like, uh, every so often I'll have a friend who got diagnosed with endometriosis or PCOS. And then like, I just love teaching them about their cycle. Like this is what's happening. And they're like, the doctor didn't tell me anything about that. So a lot of that I've been doing is like, um, more, education around the physiology and the anatomy of um, the cycle. That's awesome. That's so important. Yeah. And do you work? For, I mean, I'm sure you do yourself, but are you mm-hmm. helping people um, learning about using herbs to regulate their cycle? I am working with herbs to help other people regulate their cycle. Um, and like where I'm at with my processes, I'm working with mostly as a community herbalist and, working with people like in the Oakland area um, or people in my family or like distant community. Um, And so doing sort of consults that way and like a more micro level. That's awesome. Um, What was I going to ask you? Oh yeah. With, you said how you were bleeding for three months at that point in time. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds horrible, but (laughs) Um, has that, has like cycle dysregulation been an issue for you since? And Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you do, how do you deal? Yeah. uh, Such a good question. So at the time I had an IUD. Okay. um, And that was just part of the story. Like I, 
have longer cycles and it's I'm still like piecing together the whole story of like why that might be I'm considering um getting one of those panel hormonal tests that you can plug in I forget what they're called the dutch test the dutch test I'm like considering getting a dutch test because I'm just so curious about like seeing the numbers and seeing things like that but um I bleed regularly Mm -hmm. um I had this COVID kind of threw things off a little bit. Um, but for me, like in my journey of connecting with my blood, um, it's been really important to, for me. What came through is like my relationship with the moon is really integral to keeping my um, menstruation regular. Every full moon, I have a ritual. Um, that I go through to recognize the full moon, to sing with the full moon. Um, and I feel like I, I believe that the moon helps regulate the waters in our bodies, which is the experience and of everyone, whether they bleed or not, that we are all yeah. moon and sun beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, like I have longer cycles and there's sometimes there's this like, there had when I wasn't tracking my uh, my cycle and I wasn't able to see like a temp shift or like I didn't know as much what was going on. There was a lot more fear, and so the more I become familiar with fam as in my own practice, the more I feel certain that um, my bleeding will return. Um, that through my relationship with the plants and my relationship with the moon, that my period will return. Um, yeah, so it's it's like an inner like intertwined relationship between me, the plants, and my blood. Like it's important for me when I might with recently I had like a I don't even know it was like a forty six day cycle, yeah. meaning that like the first day I bled until the next day I bled, um, it was yeah exceptionally long and I felt that like oh my gosh like something is different in my body again like I didn't pray as hard (laughs) on the last full moon like what's going on and there's a lot of self-blame there um yeah there's a lot of self-blame and so I don't want to say it's just like it's my fault when things aren't exactly in rhythm but it's always a sign for me to like check in with myself of like wait what am I ignoring or like what do I need to adjust to make this my um, priority because my I, yeah my blood is imp- important to my magical practice and my protection practice and it's a blessing I feel like when I bleed again and then I give my blood to my plants and um, yeah I really have appreciated developing all those relationships um, synchronistically. Has really that, have you always had like such a good relationship with bleeding? Mm-hmm. Good question. Um, I don't think so. <laughs> I would say I haven't. Like, I I mean, for me, like, my socialization around bleeding when I was younger was that it was something to be, like, hidden. Mm-hmm. And it was something to be, like, covered up. And it was, like, an inconvenience and these different things. And um, it was after my experience or like my journey of like connecting more with my ancestral medicine um, and me going to Mexico that I was instructed or um, moved towards being connected to the moon and was given the like, I don't know, understanding that 
my blood and the moon are all connected. Um, and so through that, that spiritual connection, I feel much more in touch with my blood now. Um, and I really love it as a tool. Um, yeah. yeah, it is such a tool. And I, I mean, I was socialized the same way that it's, you know, something to like dread and all the things. And I think most people are, um, but yeah, if we can like recenter how we look at it and think of it as, yeah, as a, just like such a marker of our health for sure, but like how we're doing emotionally and how we're connecting with our bodies. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And being able to like, being able to just have that as a tool, like you said, is so, it's so cool. It's such a thing to be honored. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and that's been my experience. And I also love having the flexibility of acknowledging that's not everyone's experience. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's okay for someone to not have the same experiences as me. And like, I honor that that's not everyone's um, ex like relationship with their blood. Yeah. I, it's a hard one. I think <laughs> definitely <laughs> when I first learned about fam, I felt like so angry that I never had, been told about it before and have definitely been on like a I don't know a rampage at times mm -hmm. <laughs> to make sure everybody knows about it and everybody feels good about their cycle and like knows how important it is but it's just not where everybody is at and so I guess this brings like harm reduction in and how we can like still work with people who aren't quite ready for that or maybe never will be mm-hmm um, yeah yeah, just mm -hmm. yeah I guess I acknowledge that like people have different experiences with their cycle because like in my experience I was like socialized as um, someone who is assigned female at birth who was told to like stuff down this piece that like was so associated with my gender and but I want to acknowledge that some, um, may, some people have dysphoria mm -hmm. um, with their period and that if they chose not to cycle because of it, that that's okay. If they chose to, um, yeah, if they, if they choose that, you know, they don't want to pray with their, with their blood and their plants and then that's okay. Um, that's yeah, okay too. absolutely. Um, and I feel like that's actually something I wanted to talk about with, with ungendering fam. Um, okay. And working with people like I think one of the the biggest benefits of ungendering fam is creating the space for people who do experience dysphoria with bleeding to actually like get the care that they might need um mm -hmm. and to be able to acknowledge what's going on if something is problematic and I'd love to hear like how what you think about that mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess yeah um what I have like found moving in, like moving through different circles, whether they were circles that were reclaiming menstrual extraction or reclaiming um, connection with their body is that they was always centered at like, if like connection with my blood means that this is like, I'm connecting with my womanhood. And I don't, I think that that doesn't necessarily need to be 
that way. It could be that for some people, be that way for some people, but connecting with your blood could be masculine. It could be mm-hmm. not non uh, gendered. It can be non-binary. It could be whatever it is to you. Um, and so I think that, you know, switching things up that and not assuming that other people has have the same experience as you is so essential. Um, and that it's more than it, it can be woman power and it doesn't have to be woman power. It can be a lot of other different things. Definitely. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think there's such, what was hard for me in some fam circles was that there'd be the, it's not just fam, but like the same sort of vein circle about like connecting with blood and contraception and these different things is that, um, we'd go through like the um, steps of like everyone says their pronouns and then like everyone else in the room is a she and then I'm the only one saying they and like there's just like there's this there's this like stagnation around like we do this this it almost, almost feels performative like we say everyone's pronouns and then people are going to forget anyways and I'm the only one saying <laughs> anything other than she yeah um, there's this yeah, there's a, I think a, a lot that can be shifted to make spaces more comfortable for people who are gender variant. Um, and also acknowledging that bleeding can define your womanhood and it also doesn't have to define, um, it could define your masculinity, it could define um, a lot of different things. Yeah. And, and I totally agree. I think that those spaces, uh, it does feel very performative. I think of like going to moon circles and uh-huh. really anything that somehow gets lumped went under the sun umbrella. Um, yeah, that like, I appreciate that there's a conversation about pronouns, but it doesn't feel like very genuine. Um, and I think, I guess this was, also talked about in the podcast that we all discussed with class um but about how by ungendering and and stepping away from the binary we're not also taking away from people's experiences that are very gendered like if that's how you identify if that's how you want to speak about your experience Mm -hmm. by ungendering it doesn't make that less so and I think that's a really important thing to acknowledge and all of that too Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think at the core of it, we're all seeking safety. Mm-hmm. And I think that some people may feel like the safety and like, I guess I would encapsulate it as womanhood. Um, but then when I'm like lumped into that, it's just like it will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what? Like, it's just like it feels a, not. I don't want to say the only word that comes through is delusional, but it's just like, it's just like, it's just a story that they're telling themselves to feel more safe, which yeah. is like, what, what, like it's, but it's not the truth. Like if I'm not identifying as a woman, but it is a woman's only space, it's just, it's, it gets really convoluted. And like, I think that I want, I'm like really want to explore the space where, um, where things are there's more flexibility for people to really be in their own experience and not assume other people's yeah I agree I think that's gonna be something 
so cool to see with what we're all doing and um I think it will look really differently person to person but it's going to be such a huge thing to be creating for communities mm-hmm. yeah um well I think I've asked you all of my questions mm-hmm. but I'd love to give you the space to share anything else that you feel like we didn't touch upon um I believe that um, what do I want to say? <laughs> what do I want to say? <laughs> something epic. Um, something great <laughs> to land on. Um, you know, even though fam in its like iteration now with like taking your temperature and like putting it in an app, which you don't have to put in an app. You can like write it on a piece of paper feels like it's technology. And it's like something that is new. It's, it's not new to check your cervical fluid. It's like, I think that being in touch with how many days are in your unique cycle, getting to know your unique flow of your cervical mucus or your partners or your partner's cervical mucus is part of a relearning from something that was taken away through colonization um, and violence. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is actually returning to something that our ancestors practiced Um, And returning back to that space is also um, returning back to a space where there um, that is not transphobic, that is gender inclusive, that is inclusive of different sexual orientations. Um, And so I just feel like it's really all intertwined um, that and I just really want to highlight that because it's really important to me that it's for me, fam is framed as like, a way of returning to ourselves rather than becoming this, this doing something that's new and advanced and technology. And yeah, that's something that I really wanted to, to highlight. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Thank you for saying that. I really like that a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and sharing all of your thoughts and wisdom. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it too. Thank you so much for making this platform and like all the labor that goes into making these podcasts and tending to your platform. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And um, I, I'll see, is there anything that you'd want to share about like how people could get in touch with you if they want to? Oh, sure. Well, um, I imagine it's going to be on the post, but my, my name, Sarah Merrick, C-E-R-A, M-E-R-R-I-C-K is my mm-hmm. handle on Instagram. You can um, use that name at gmail.com to email me if you're looking for any sort of abortion doula support. If you're looking for, if you're curious about like what plants are better, um, more indicated or like what plants would, are your, are, that you'd be curious to like to develop your relationship with and grow, which plants are easier to grow and um yeah, anything that you're curious about exploring in the intersections of justice and abortion and herbs, 
um, and fam, please get in touch with me. I love, love, love nerding out about these things. And um, I also like am in uh, on a path of like being able to hear feedback. So if there's something that um, didn't sit well that you like want to talk more deeply about, um, I'm just totally into accountability and learning more from other people's perspectives. So please reach out. Amazing. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope you have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.